All right, y'all doing good? Yeah. Looks like we're all back from vacation today. Like school must start soon. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we got the parent crowd over here near the children. I see how that goes. Yeah, so that's all. That's good stuff. So we're talking about meaning this days. What does life mean? Which really was a rhetorical question, so it's not bad that you didn't answer it publicly. But that's what we're trying to ask together. What does life mean and how do I find meaning in life? Because life's kind of simple, really. You're born, you eat, you work, you die. It's like, okay, you don't even have to pay taxes. I've known, I've known I mean, you have to, but I've known people. And I know some of you, some of it's like, it's not that cut and dry. You know, some of you, you add family into that whole mix too. Well, that, that's a good thing. That adds some meaning to your life probably. And some of you, you add a career into that. Like, okay, that stacks things up a little bit. Some of you add three or four de- uh, destination vacations to your life. Like, woohoo, that adds some meaning maybe to it. It's all good. You can add stuff to your life, but you can add stuff and add stuff and add stuff and add stuff, but that doesn't add meaning. We all know someone who's got a lot of stuff, but seems like they live a life that is empty of meaning. And we all know people that don't have very much stuff at all, but their life seems to be full, really full of meaning. What does life mean? And how do I find that meaning? And how do I have that meaning in my life? That's the thing, those are the things we're asking these days. We spend the summer asking those questions, and today's going to be our wrap-up day on that whole journey. We'll start something new next week. And we've talked about some things that are really crucial in the whole process of finding meaning and filling our lives with meaning. First thing we saw several weeks ago is the whole idea of others. A life of meaning is a life that is given to others. It's lived for others. And everything we talked about has kind of come back to others because we we went on from there to generosity. And generosity is something that fills our life with meaning. But generosity always is given to others. They're not generous to me. That's called selfishness. It's generous to others. That's what it's all about. That's how it works. We talked about grace and how we can overcome shame with grace, but we have to be able to give that grace to others. And yeah, we have to be able to give grace to ourselves because we carry around a lot of our own shame. Yes, but we also have to be ready and able to give that grace to others. We talked about the idea that God majors on beauty, goodness, and truth. He builds those things into the world. He builds those things into our lives. And he wants us to lean into them and celebrate those things. And the things like beauty, goodness, and truth are things that God uses to fill our lives with meaning. And then last week we came to what is really the crux of the issue for us as we think about what meaning is. As, as we are followers of Christ, we talked about, about the idea that really at the bottom line for us, meaning comes from knowing Jesus. And the way we set this series up is sort of on a, we're sort of going on a journey. It starts with others and it goes toward Jesus who does all these things we've talked about. And then it cycles back around to others, which we'll see today. And we're going to, we, little fun thing for me at least, and hopefully for you, we're going to talk about one thing today, Jesus. And I, you know, our goal is to talk through all the scriptures. I want to teach through all the scriptures. I want you to know all the scriptures that God has given to us but every now and then we're doing a series and, it, and it, it's about other things. It's about family or it's about finances or things like that. And sometimes it's hard to get just back to Jesus. Sometimes people will find me in the lobby after church like, you didn't talk about Jesus at all today. I'm like, we prayed. <laughs> and besides that, we're in the book of Leviticus. You know, it's like they're not a lot about Jesus. I know it points to him, but, you know, it doesn't use his name. Anyway, today it's Jesus pure and simple. 
I want to get Jesus' perspective on how do you have a life of meaning. I want to, I want to find Jesus' life and I want to learn from his life together how Jesus' life and his pattern, his approach to life, is an approach that will fill our lives with meaning. So that's what we're up to today. Jesus wants your life to be full of meaning. He wants your life to be full of significance. He wants your life to be full of grace and full of truth. And, and yet all those things that he wants for us, they only come, they only begin when we start with being full of empty. You want to be full of meaning, you want to be full of significance, you want to be full of grace and truth like Jesus, it starts with being full of empty. And you're like, well, what is that about? How, how is that even possible to be full of empty? Well, let's look at the scripture and find out. So if, if you have your Bible with you, let's open up and uh, turn to Philippians chapter 2. If you're not familiar with the Bible, but you've got one there with you, it's toward the back of the Bible. If you don't have a paper Bible with you and you've got your smartphone, you can use that. There's an app on there called YouVersion. It's, uh, it's an app with all kinds of translations of the Bible, and so if you want to find that and download it or just open it up if you've got it already in there, you can follow along with this. Philippians chapter 2, this is written by the Apostle Paul to a bunch of Christ followers, Christians, in a town called Philippi, and this letter was written about 2,000 years ago, and it's still beautifully relevant for us today. Here's what Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 2, verse 5. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. That's Jesus' success story. It's not like any other success story you've ever read or heard or watched because it goes the wrong direction. Most of the success stories that you ever hear about in this world, they, they start down here. Someone's really down low and then they, they work and they scramble and they make it happen they, and they go kind of like this, but eventually their pattern goes from here to here. It's up and to the right. And that's kind of how the, 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 the journey of success is, is supposed to go, we think. And yet here's Jesus and he shows up and he goes in exactly the opposite direction. And yet the Bible holds that up and like, that's the success story. Now, some of you go, I don't want to be involved in that. I want the up and to the right life. That would give my life meaning. Well, let me show you Jesus' way, and then let's decide. He starts off in heaven with God. Verse 6 says, Jesus, who being in very nature God. The word that's used there for very nature, it's hard to translate, but it's a word that means form. Or it's like Jesus is in heaven and he exists in the form of God. Now he's going to take a different form later. But don't, get, don't like, well, he was just a form. He was just like a ghost. You know, he's just describing his nature. What is he like? His nature is he's God. And so he exists in heaven as God. Remember last week, if you were with us, we talked about John chapter 1. And it begins by saying, in the beginning was the Word, who is Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, who, and he was with God and he was and he was God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
That's Jesus. He exists as God, and he exists as God in heaven. Now, when God is in heaven, he has responsibilities. Would you agree? That was not rhetorical. Come on. Yeah, he has responsibilities, and some of them are hard. Like sometimes, he, like all the time, he's answering prayer, right? He's listening to prayer all the time, and some of you all talk at once. I mean, that's how, that's how prayers go. You know, like when we pray, in a, when we pray in a, like in a small group, you go around the circle and one person prays at a time. We're all very polite about that. But when people around the world are praying, they don't know when you're praying. They just start praying. God's listening to all that. God carries the weight of the world on his shoulders. God holds the universe together. So we, there's a lot of big stuff that God does. All right. But there are some perks to being God in heaven. Don't you think there have to be some perks to, if you're God in heaven? It's not, it's not all just responsibility, right? I'm like, just think, about some of the th- in, just think about some of the stuff that God has in heaven, the perks. Like, like there are no annoyances in heaven. You know, there are no, like, like alarm clocks. Jesus never had to wake up to an alarm clock. Jesus never went, I'm awake now. He, that never happened to Jesus in heaven. He existed in the form of God. There were no annoyances. There were no lawnmowers in heaven. Yours or your neighbor's. No, I, lawns mow themselves in heaven. Automatic mowage. Beautiful thing. You never have to wait for coffee to brew in heaven. You coffee drinkers, you're so funny because you don't like coffee, so you're always trying to dream up some new way to brew it. You know, like, like drip wasn't good enough, so you went to French press. That wasn't good enough, so you went to cold brew. You know, I, try tea, people. But if you're a coffee drinker and you're in heaven, you don't have to wait for it to brew. You get instant coffee that tastes like good coffee. That, there's no annoyances in heaven. There's no brokenness in heaven. Do you own anything? Yeah, thank you. If you own something, then you have something that's broken. This is just how it is. If you have stuff, stuff breaks. It's, it, it breaks. In heaven, there's nothing broken. There are no broken things in heaven. There's no broken appliances in heaven. Your rear bumper is not broken in heaven. People aren't broken in heaven. There are no broken bones. There are no broken hearts. There are no broken relationships. Jesus existed in that heaven. In in that heaven... If you exist as God in heaven, there's no limit to your power. Theologians call it omnipotence, which is a big word for there's no limit to your power. Jesus could do anything he wanted in heaven. He had power to do anything that he wanted to do in heaven. In heaven, for Jesus, who exists as God there, there's no closed doors. There's no place in heaven where Jesus gets to a door. It's like, oh, it's locked. Hey, Dad, this door's locked. I want to go in. You know, there's, there's none of that. There's no doors that are locked. When Don and I were on our sabbatical, J- Josh has got back from sabbatical. We had one about five years ago. And uh, we went to Italy, and we did this thing that I called a, a sacred architectural tour. The whole idea was to go around Italy and just look at churches and look at the architecture and look at how the, the builders of these buildings designed them to help you look up toward God. It was just really amazing things. We'd go, we went and huge cathedrals like the Duomo in Florence, and then we went to little tiny churches, and every church we went into, there was some door or some gate that said, you shall not pass. And I'm, I'm, I just wanted to go in. You know, 
I, I'm a rule keeper by nature. I don't know how I got this one, but I'm, I'm a rule keeper by nature. And so what I've learned is I, I'm like, especially in the United States, I try and follow the rules. But when I'm like in a different country, I mean, here's a door, and, and doors are made to open. I'm like, I want to go in there. This is probably the janitor's closet. I can't read Italian. I don't know what's inside there, but I want to go in. But I can't. In heaven, there were no doors that were closed to Jesus. When he looked out, when he looked out on his universe, there were no doors that were closed to him in the universe. He had all power, all knowledge, all wisdom. He had everything. He existed in the form of God. He had an all-pass, all-access pass to heaven. And he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Or one translation says, he did not regard equality with God, being on the same plane with God, he did not regard that as something to be grasped held on to. I'm like, are you kidding me? We grasp at everything. We're graspers by nature. We grasp the next rung and the next rung and the next rung and the next. We just want to go up. And here's Jesus. He's already up and he goes, it's not worth grasping. He's God. And he goes, it's not worth grasping. It's not worth using to my own advantage. And so he stepped down. I don't mean he retired or he resigned. He, he lowered himself to become a servant. He was in very nature God, but he did not re regard equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Theologians have wrapped themselves into pretzels for centuries trying to answer what that means. He... Made himself nothing. How does God make himself nothing? Another way, the, the, the actual word literally means he emptied himself. Like how does God empty himself? What does that mean? Nobody knows what that means. If you try and just take the word, but if you look at it in the context of his actions, you know exactly what it means. He made himself nothing by taking. It says he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. He was God, but he stepped down and he became a servant. A servant is someone who lives his life or her life for the sake of others, for the benefit of others. If you go out to lunch today after church, you're going to have a server. If you go to that kind of a restaurant you know, you don't, that you don't have to wait in line for, you're going to have a server. You're going to have a servant and they're going to come to your table and they're going to serve you. They're going to live their life during that time you're at lunch. They're going to live their life to serve you. Now, they only have to clock in at a certain time and clock out at another time. And when they get done, they clock out. They don't have to serve anymore if they don't want to. But while they're serving, they're there for the benefit of those who are at their table. That's what a servant does. A servant who is a lifetime servant lives his or her life for the benefit of others. Here's God who had an all-access pass to heaven, and he stepped down to be a servant. To whom? To us. 
And I'm like, Jesus, don't you have this a little bit upside down? You're the one who should have servants. When he was in heaven, he had servants. We call them angels. Angels are just personal runners for Jesus. Powerful, amazing ones, but, that, but they're servants to Jesus. He had all the servants he could use, but he stepped down from that and he became a servant. And if you're following the progression, you're not going to like the next one that he takes, the next step down that he takes. Because he left his role as God and he became a servant. Then he took another step down and became human. I'm like, whoa, 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 time out. Wait, wait. Human is above servant. No, that's not how Jesus sees it. He became a servant, then he became human. He decided to give his life for others, and then he became human. Imagine what that was like to be God, to be the creator, and then to decide, I'm I'm, going to be one of those humans. He created those humans, but he became one. There was a rumor going around heaven that humans carried disease. called sin ruins everything and yet Jesus became human there was a cloud that hovers over humans every one of them every human being this cloud hovers over them the cloud is called death and Jesus left his role as God he became a servant and then he became a human to live in the midst of that disease, to live under that cloud. Though he didn't have to, he lived under that cloud of death. In fact, then he took another step down and he humbled himself to actually go through what humans go through. He humbled himself to die. He didn't have to. He chose that. You have to. Sorry. I know it's a beautiful day outside and everything, but you're dying. Did I, did I say that too straight up? All right, let's not mince words here. We're all dying. We're human beings. We carry a disease. It leads to death. It leads to death for every single one of us. It's involuntary. It happens to every one of us. And we fight it like we're trying to fight it off. Some of you work out. You know, I, I try and work out because I'm trying to fight it. Some of you try and eat right. I don't really understand that, but, the, you know, I'm trying to work out because I'm trying to fight it. And even if you eat right and you work out, you're dying. And it's coming. You know, you're, you're fighting a losing battle. Now, Jesus, when he came, he, be, he became a servant and he became human. And he didn't have to die because he was holy, holy, holy. But he died because he chose to. It says... He emptied himself and took the form of a servant, and then he became a human being, and he humbled himself to death. If you're God, it's possible to humble yourself to death. That's what Jesus did. And not just any death. Death on a cross. The most gruesome, excruciating form of execution that human beings have devised so far. And that's Jesus' success story. Why would he do that? That doesn't make any sense at all. Why would he do that? 
it's because he was looking not to his own personal interests, but instead he was looking to the interests of others. See, a life of meaning, to become a life of meaning, must begin with being full of empty. Jesus lived his life full of empty. He gave his life to be full of empty. And he lived the most meaningful life in the history of the planet. Because he was engaged not with his own personal interests, but he's engaged with yours. He was engaged with the interests of others. And now Paul takes that and he goes, look, you guys, this is how I want you to live. He goes, I want you to have the same mindset that was in Christ Jesus who did this amazing come down and his life was filled with meaning. I want you to live like that. And so he writes this letter to the Philippians and I skipped over a little bit of it. I want to back up and catch this part. Verse one, it says this. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Paul writes this letter to the Christians in Philippi, and he says, here's the perfect church. Here's the ideal church. It's a church where everyone in the church finds encouragement from one another. The word means to come alongside of somebody else. It's like that's the kind of church we want to be a part of, where where people come alongside of me when I have a need. It's the kind of church where we comfort one another when we're in pain and when we're in grief and loss. We comfort one another, which is a word that means to sit next to one another and listen. To be a presence, to be a comfort because somebody else needs us. He talks about sharing things in common and having fellowship and expressing tenderness and compassion. And when you read that, you go, that's the kind of church I want to be in. That's the kind of church I want us to be. Paul says to them, that's the church, that's the kind of church I want you to be. That's a church that is filled with meaning. And he says, I want you to get there, and I want you to follow Jesus' pattern to get there. He goes, I don't want you to do anything out of selfish ambition. We are a world full of selfish ambition, where we pursue our own things, our own agenda, our own course, our own victories. He goes, I don't want you to live your lives out of selfish ambition, because selfish ambition always leads to rivalry. And rivalry leads to resentment because every rivalry has more than one person playing. You don't have a, you don't have a league that's, that's got a rivalry if there's only one team. Rivalry happens because there's ambition. And in the case of human life, selfish ambition, and that begins to have rival, we begin to have rivalries amongst us. And rivalry always leads to resentment because somebody wins and somebody doesn't. And resentment leads to hostility. Now we're broken. Now we're angry. Now we're upset with one another. Because I don't want you to do anything out of selfish 
ambition or vain or empty conceit. He says, rather, I want you in humility to value others above yourselves. You're like, nobody does that. He goes, that's why I wanted you to look at Jesus, because he did, and he does. I want you in humility to value others higher than yourselves. It is the nature of Jesus to humble himself. That's the nature of God. He existed in the very nature of God, and he humbled himself. It's the nature of Christ to humble himself. It is the privilege of Christ's followers to do the same. To look out not for your own personal interests, but instead, indeed, for the interests of others. Literally, he says, I want you to scope that out. I want you to search for it. I want you to look for it. I want you to find ways to put the interests of others ahead of yourself. That's what I want you to do. Now, there's 100 ways you could do that at Lakeside. Maybe 150. Now, I, I, don't, really want, I don't really want to talk to you about those today because I'm, I'm trying to think, well, that would, that would maybe feel self-serving. It's like I could tell you, you know, you, sh- you should be like Jesus and you should serve. So why don't you go serve in Kids Fest? I don't, I'm not going to tell you that, though, because that would be self-serving. It wouldn't, really, it wouldn't really be like serving others, maybe. I mean, it's good to serve in Kids Fest, but I'm not going to tell you that. I'm not going to tell you, you know, you, you could volunteer in MSM, middle school ministries, you could serve kids there. That'd be a beautiful thing. But I'm like, we're not going to talk about that because it could be self-serving. No. No, really. I could talk about 100 different things at Lakeside, but I'm not going to talk about them. Let's, let's talk about something outside. Let's talk about serving somebody outside. There are always, there are thousands of ways to serve somebody else outside to in humility regard someone else, someone else's needs, someone else's interest as more important than your own. There are thousands of ways to do that. We have two that I want to tell you about that are coming up this fall through Lakeside into our community. One's in September, one's in October. The one in September is going to be September 16th. And uh, this will be the fourth time this happens. For the last three years, now going into the fourth year, our city is organizing a community service day. The mayor got the idea four years ago, like, we ought to have the citizens get together and serve one another. I didn't tell him, it's like, we've been doing that for a long time as a church. I don't care, man. The mayor kind of came up with this idea. It's like, good, we should jump into that. We shouldn't do our own thing. Let's jump into what they're doing. Let's serve alongside of our neighbors and let's serve other neighbors. So we jumped in. They asked a few years ago if we at Lakeside would host a breakfast for all the people that volunteer on the community service day. This year, we expect 2,000 people to be on our campus at the beginning of that day to get breakfast and then to go out to serve. And I'm like, look, when the mayor calls and goes, hey, would the church be willing to host this breakfast? I'm like, no, I don't think so. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to host it. We're going to host it. We're going to have all these people come here, and we need to serve them. I need 34 people to help serve. That's not, that's not about me. That's about them. I need 34. 
And if you, you know, some of you are like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll come, I'll, I'll, that's a great idea, I'll serve breakfast for others who come to the community service day. Then you go on the website to their, their uh, FolsomCommunityService.org is the website. Now if you're going to help serve breakfast, that we're, it's just going to be Lakesiders, so this is a public sign-up thing, but we put a password on it, so just, I'm, I'm telling you the password today, so you can get in and people can't serve on this one. This is our project to serve others, but if, you, if you're going to sign up for this, you've got to go on that website, and then it's going to ask you for the password. The password to serve at breakfast is muffins. I didn't even make it up. It's just a great password. Somebody else said, hey, you should use muffins. All right, that's what we're going to do. So you want to serve on September 16th, breakfast to 2,000 people that are volunteering to serve our neighborhoods and our community? Then go sign up there. Now, some of you are like, no, 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 I don't want to do, I don't want to do it in the church. I want to serve out there. Fantastic. You can go paint walls or pull weeds. Or, there's all kinds of, there's like 40 or 50 projects you can do on community service day with your neighbors to serve somebody else. It's not a big thing. It's a few hours. It's a few weeds. You know, you might, you might, you might get poked with a sticker. You know, it's, just not, it's not that big a thing. But you know what it is? It's a step toward practicing to live like Jesus. It's rehearsal on the path to living like Jesus. That's worth it. The other opportunity is coming up October sec, uh, 7th. We are going to, for the second year, we're going to host the Break Free Run. And Break Free, the Break Free Run is sponsored, it's hosted by a group called Three Strands, uh, the Three Strands Foundation. And they do a fantastic job of using funds that they raise to do education, to do rescue, to do uh, retraining, reparenting of people who are involved in human trafficking. They rescue girls primarily from human trafficking. It's an amazing thing they do, and they do it beautifully, and we're going to jump in and help. So we host the race right here on our property. You can, you can be involved in two ways. You can run. <laughs> yes, I, I ain't doing that. <laughs> I didn't see Jesus doing that. Like, okay, okay, okay. You don't have to run. If you're a runner, you could run. Like, you know, and that would help because part, part of your registration fee goes to help fund anti-trafficking things. So that's a good thing. Or you can go, I'm going to volunteer. And you go to their website, threestrandsglobalfoundation.org, and you go to their website, and you'll find the race that's going to be in Folsom on October 7th, and you, you can click to run, or you can click to volunteer. And either way, you're serving someone else. Either way, you're giving up something that you are to serve someone else, which means you're giving your life for that period of time for the benefit of others. And your life is being filled with meaning. Nobody ever lived a life with more meaning than Jesus. But I haven't finished his success story yet. We left him dying on a cross. And Paul finishes his story by saying this, Therefore, because he did all that come-down journey, therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the success story. That's a life filled with meaning. It starts with being full of empty. Lord, thank you for what you've done for us. Jesus, you're amazing. Your life was amazing. The 
journey that you have taken is amazing to us, and we honor you for it. Lord, today, I pray for me and for my friends as we consider the path that you took, and then you invite us to be on that same path. Lord, open our heart to respond to you in this. Some of us think our life is too busy. Some of, our, some of us think our life is too full to be able to serve others. And yet, the life of meaning comes by serving others. So give us grace, Lord. Fill us with that. Fill us with your passion and your desire, your willingness to give ourselves to others. Be honored as we serve. Jesus, thank you. Amen.